All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Liam McCullum Show. Today, I have a very special guest on. It's Dan Sanchez. He was somewhat of a mentor of mine over the last year um, at the Foundation for Economic Education. I, I went through their apprenticeship, their Hazlitt Fellow program um, uh, at the beginning of the year. It was a six-month-long apprenticeship, and uh, I, I gained a lot of wisdom, and um, uh, I really am honored to be able to have gone through that experience and meet Dan and kind of build a relationship with him. So I'm happy to have you on the show, Dan. Well, thank you, Liam. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been one of the uh, great benefits of of the project is to um, build uh, connections with uh, great young thinkers like you. And uh, it's just been really great to see you be influential and um, for, for the good, uh, especially on um, social media and in um, in uh, libertarian movement activism. Yeah, and and what I wanted to talk about today is really a lot of the uh, um, lessons that I learned from you while going through that apprenticeship, and um, some of the recent things you've you've been writing about about like the need for uh, precise speech and kind of the impact of that. But before we hop into that, why don't you just introduce yourself for people who don't know who you are? Yeah, so um, I'm the the director of content and editor at Fee, the Foundation for Economic Education, and so at at Fee we uh, teach the freedom philosophy and especially uh, sound economics, Austrian economics particularly. Uh, Fee was founded in 1946, and so it's the oldest libertarian think tank of the world, <clears throat> and. Um, and we're all about um, spreading the ideas um, because Leonard Reed believed that it is through understanding liberty that that society will come to embrace liberty. He also taught that um, that the way that you help other people understand liberty is to build your own understanding of liberty. And um, so in the Hazlitt Project, that's what really what we're trying to develop our um, our our are teachers who are who are learners and who learn out loud and and invite other people to, to join in their learning and so that's just been a, a passion of mine um throughout my career even before entering uh the liberty movement i was working in education and i've always been wanting to crack the code not only of what makes for a good society but but how people um how people learn how um, how truth and understanding can spread, and um, and so that's what we're that's what I try to do at Fee. I try to um, to to teach the public, but I also try to teach teachers of the public, um, and and that's what the, the Hazard Project's all about. And and recently, I've seen that you've taken on um, somewhat of a, a private project and um, something to better yourself, and you've been publishing articles every single day, um, kind of trying to be someone that that these Hazlitt fellows can look up to and uh, hopefully uh, gain um, wisdom about how to do that. And I've definitely, um, even though I've moved on from the, the program, I've uh, gained a lot of wisdom and I really appreciated being able to see how dedicated you are to releasing an article every single day. So um, you recently started the Substack and you have three different series, I believe, um, on, on different topics, and I'm interested in every single one of them. So you have uh, Letters on Liberty, uh, Civilize Thyself, and then what is, what is the title of the one about superheroes? Superhero Studies. 
Okay. Yeah. And they're, they're all great. And I've, I've been following them pretty closely and I'll link to each of them in the description of this podcast, but I I've really been picking up on um, this theme that you keep touching on. I think that that runs through it all. Um, and maybe, maybe I'm, I'm missing here and that's, it's not a theme that you're touching on and, and you can talk about that, but um, it, it appears that you're talking about the importance, importance of speech, importance of precise speech and uh the written word as well. Um, and specifically, I'm, I'm thinking of the article on John Locke being the most dangerous man in the world. Um, this was very fascinating to me, especially reflecting on uh, Reformation Day, which I celebrated um, this last Monday, where I was reflecting on, you know, the impact that the overall Enlightenment period and the printing press had on the world. Um, and John Locke, who kind of came out of this movement as well. Um, so I'm wondering if you can kind of explain uh, why John Locke is the most dangerous man of the world, at least during his time, and uh, make your case there. Sure. Yeah, I, I I make the point that he doesn't look particularly formidable, um, and the 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 painting that I use in the article um, it kind of contrasts with the with the title in a way because he was very gaunt. Um, he um, he was asthmatic. Uh, he, at the time that I was writing about the, the time of his life that I was writing about, he was in his fifties. And, um, and so normally, you know, when you think of someone who's dangerous, you think of like someone who's like James Bond, um, someone who's a physical force, um, or, or at least, um, um, is the leader of physical forces like Genghis Khan or Alexander the Great, but um, but John Locke it was more powerful than any of those types of people, um, and his power was through ideas, and um, and like I said, he was um, suspected of conspiring to assassinate the then King of England, um, but but really that's not what made him dangerous that what made him dangerous was the, the his pen not his sword and um and he ended up overthrowing not just one mark but basically all of them uh, because his ideas swept the world and his ideas um discredited the absolutist monarchy ideology that had been dominating um, ever, especially since uh, King Louis the Fourteenth um, modeled that, but even even before then, and he um, and it was all in just this book, this this book that he wrote called Two Treatises of Government, that um, that that became the the catechism of the American Revolution, really, and um, and really. Um, was the philosophy of the Declaration of Independence, um, of the Bill of Rights, and and of the Revolution itself, and um, and and then the the American experiment that followed that, that became the wonder of the world, and and everyone wanted to emulate the the success of the American experiment, and um, and so country after country. Um, uh, especially in Europe, had um, movements towards liberty and away from absolute monarchy, and it um, it 
ultimately led to um, to liberalization on on, on many uh, on many fronts. Uh, ultimately led to economic le liberalization that led to the industrial revolution that um, that led to prosperity that was historically unprecedented um, where where you have every generation living vastly better lives in terms of material security than than the generation beforehand and that just wasn't the way of things before that that um human well um prosperity was pretty much static that that everyone could basically expect to live the same living standards that their that their parents and their grandparents and their great grandparents did uh through virtually all of human history until we reached this inflection point of what what's been called the hockey stick of human prosperity that was all because of the industrial revolution and that was not because of technology the way that a lot of people think think it was that what tapped the power of technology was liberty was was security and property rights and especially of capital goods and it all stemmed back from the ideas that um that john locke made uh, made popular yeah and and john locke really kind of informed the the tradition that you and i belong to in in libertarianism um, I, I actually got involved in or interested in libertarianism through John Locke and uh, learning about natural law in my my civics class in high school. I, I was lucky enough to be taught by um, a libertarian in civics in high school. Not everyone gets to say that, but um, I later found out when I discovered Rothbard that he really bases uh, his libertarianism off of a natural law theory. And, and all of this kind of stems from um, Aquinas and John Locke. So really, I mean, he's influencing our political thought as well and at a very deep level. Um, and this this really reminds me of of something that you talked a lot about while I was um, in this Hazlitt Fellow Project with you about messaging and how we should properly message as libertarians. Um, there's been a lot of talk and a lot of controversy about like uh, um, LP messaging and Libertarian Party New Hampshire's messaging. And um, I, I honestly don't know where I lie on a lot of these things. I'm friends with people who uh, are with Libertarian Party New Hampshire. And I am I went through your guys's program where we talked about how to uh, properly message and how we should really base our um, messaging and ideas. So I'm, I'm wondering if you can kind of make the case for Leonard Reed's um, methodology for spreading liberty and and how we should be uh talking about liberty to people sure so leonard reed basically taught that the way that you improve the world is by not trying to improve the world but rather improving yourself that um that that uh, there's a difference between meddling and modeling and that true leadership is not meddling it's modeling it's um, it's demonstrating your own understanding. Um, it's it's showing moral leadership, and it's um, it, and it's what um, in terms of the realm of ideas, it's learning out loud, and um, and and sharing what you're learning with people who might be in a place in their own journey where they're where they're looking for that particular piece of the puzzle themselves. So so Leonard Reed taught that there's there's no master key that everyone's lock is different. And um and 
um, if you try to force your key on someone who isn't at a point where that key is particularly what what works, then they're just going to resent you for it. And um, and so I have this article called Keith Smiths for Liberty, and um, and I ar argue that what we need to do is work on our own understanding and work on our own keys and offer it through writing, through speaking to people and and those with ears to hear will uh, will hear it. Um, but um, and those who can't um, don't if if you try to 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 um, impose it against their will, that that's like casting pearls before swine that um that leonard reed as like leonard reed taught that everyone controls admission to their own mind and they're they're only going to let an idea in if they voluntarily do it and and so so really it it it, it is that approach that tends to work and and the way I think of the LP messaging, I, I have these recent posts um, uh, where I, I talk about education versus indoctrination, and and the the, the way I define that is um, indoctrination is about consequences. It's about getting someone to conform with a certain opinion or a certain way of thinking through like some kind of adverse consequences or beneficial consequences and and when when you think about it, that's what that's what social justice warriors do and that's what like woke um um inquisitors do is that they um that's what cancel culture is is that uh it's the threat of being canceled of being um, suffering from disassociation, of losing followers, of losing fans, of of losing um, losing uh, reputation, of losing friends even, and losing money, and losing one's career. I mean, losing one's bank account even. I mean, we saw with Kanye, like you know how um, far cancel cancel culture can go. Um, and and what I argued is that cancel culture is really part of what we used to call call out culture, and cancel culture is just like the furthest extreme of, of calling out. But but calling out is still all about consequences. Like the, it might not be to the point of canceling, but it's still basically um, shaming someone for 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 wrong think and um, and getting people to conform in order to avoid um avoid the consequences of that avoid avoid the uh, social consequences of that that can work to get outward conformity but that's not the way people learn um and 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 the way that people learn is like what Leonard Reed described is is when when an idea is presented to them and um and they are helped to understand the idea and um and so i think that when so i i think that the answer to call out culture 
and shame culture for bad ideas is not um, call out culture for good ideas. Um, because for, for one thing that like, like I argue that that is losing that, that that's a losing playing field for good ideas because good ideas have an inherent advantage in that they're, they're good, that they're true. And when, when the, the, um, the mechanism is through understanding, we're going to have a better, uh, an advantage over false ideas because the truth will out because the, through, through understanding people to, to the degree that they actually do under, understand uh, reason and evidence and argumentation, uh, then, then it wins, then, then truth has a natural advantage. But when it comes to the shame game and, and when it comes to like name calling and, and just, and, and saying like basically threatening social consequences, we, the truth has no particular advantage. Um, um, if, if anything, like people who are less scrupulous and who believe bad ideas that they're going to have more of an advantage in that. And, and so I think that, I think that one, it doesn't work, that that's, that's not how you get actual understanding. And, and two, uh, it, it's not our, our natural advantage. And, um, and so like answering people who, who are saying like, oh, well, you know, never mind arguing, we're just going to, you know, call you a racist, call you a bigot with, okay, never mind argue argue arguing we're just going to call you a war warmonger call you a, a war criminal um and and we're going to like mock you and and make make you feel bad and 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 like again i i don't think that that's our our natural advantage and i don't think that's how you get people to to change minds now and i want to qualify that because i i do think that you know people who advocate foreign wars are war criminals. And so maybe that wasn't a, a, the best ex example to use because I, I I do think it's important to call things by their proper names and to and and as a way of helping people to understand um the truth about um about, about morality and, and and about society to to not have double standards for agents of the government and people who use the power of the government to do things that we would consider atrocious for any private person to do like like killing people uh killing innocent people um but but i think um i think there's a difference between saying you know you are favoring war crimes because of X, Y, and Z, and and that is evil, and um and and that versus like like the the example that came up uh, on Twitter, um like haha, I'm I'm glad that you're crying because your uh, war criminal father died, um like I think that. That that's fundamentally different because there's no there's no there's no expression of of there's no explanation there there's there's no um, enlightenment about the difference between you know right and wrong it, it's 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 basically just 
trying to use social pressure to make anyone who who advocates a certain pos- uh, policy, um, you know, just just feel bad and 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 be be social socially ostracized. And again, I don't think it works, and and I don't think it's a winning uh, it's a winning battle. Yeah, I I am interested in what you think about um, the strategy of being controversial and maybe humorous. Um, if, if you've uh, looked into the angle of like how humor um, is able to convince people and if if it's capable of um, uh, attracting people and changing people's minds. I I have been critical of LPNH too, even though I'm friends with um, people involved with LPNH. I, I just interviewed Reed Coverdale about um, messaging and and kind of his take on on the strategy um and i was critical also of the the mccain tweet and i think i didn't really know why it was more of a guttural feeling but i think you you s- summarized it pretty well um and, and you kind of crystallized to me how i feel about it is that um i would rather you know get people to understand why mccain is a war criminal before saying that he deserves death because he's a war criminal. Because the truth is, is that uh, the current state of things, most people do not believe that he's a war criminal, nor do they even know anything about McCain's history. Most people think that he's just a, you know, a, a politician who deserves to be revered. And that's the extent they know anything about McCain. Um, so I think you were right. And I think in this particular instance, I do agree with you that um, we we should be edu- educating and trying to move people in the direction of understanding why we're criticizing McCain before we we come out and and we you know post things like that uh, because the truth is is most people see that right now and they think there is this revered politician in front of us. Why would someone? Um, be laughing or mocking their death because they they don't understand the backstory here. But I am I am wondering about the overall um, idea that we should be controversial and potentially just use comedy and and humor uh, to bring people to liberty. Do, do you think that there's any use in that? Oh yeah, I mean a lot of what makes something funny is when there's um, a truth to it. I mean there's a lot of uh, some of the best comics are are truth tellers and and a lot of times it's it's a truth that or or at least at least an exaggerated version of of a truth that a lot of people might not be willing to admit to and and may not but but then but then when they hear it then they they recognize it and and um and so so comedy can definitely humor can definitely be um, a way of, of truth telling and and even um even sort of controversial comedy and and sort of pushing the envelope um, of uh, of acceptable opinion that again that that's what makes things funny and um and and so that that can, work and and that that can that can work in it's it it is a form of communication and it can lead to education actually because it it can make people rethink things um i th- i think that that there is a danger however and and i think it's connected sort of 
with another issue that I have with with things like the the um, the McCain funeral tweet is that it, it's that it's risky that it's tempting to not be about trying to get people to realize something even even in a humorous way that that it can be fun just to get a rise out of people for the sake of getting a rise out of people like just just for the sake of especially someone who you might rightfully resent for pr promoting policies that that you know get people killed and have their liberty lost that um that that it can be easy to indulge in that such that your your um you're just making you're you're not reading the room and and you're 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 just saying things that uh in in order to antagonize people um and and in in order and and in that might actually end up making people more solidly clinging cling to their position because because you know because they don't think it's funny and because they they resent it and because a lot of people don't think it's funny and so so i mean there's no like science to it like it's it's all about it's all about reading the room um but but i think that i think that's why it really matters like where our our hearts are and um and and to the and th that's why like i'm really um I, I really have concern about thoughts like i'm i'm glad he's dead um i'm glad she's suffering because once it it becomes about um once it becomes wrath and once it becomes like schadenfreude and and wishing ill like ill will towards another another person that that then then that becomes like the objective and and then like truth and justice and making things better can get lost um be, because ultimately it's it's just sort of like uh, it's just sort of like a like just about the the momentary pleasure of uh of the feeling of of um of antagonizing someone and so so i i just think that we need to like be careful to to make sure that our 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 hearts are in the right place and that our our what's motivating us is in the right place yeah i i really appreciate that too cuz as a christian it it almost seems like you want to avoid the spirit so when when you are hateful like that and and wrathful like that i think that you're sharing in the same exact spirit that you're you're criticizing and reacting against and it's very reactionary um and it's all oriented towards the same destruction that that we hate and and for me um you know there's there was a lot of mockery around that tweet about um whether we should be civil whether we should you know uh, be civilized with these people who are the most uncivil um, people on earth, being that they are war criminals. And I think in this, um, the the 
problem was really like mischaracterized. The problem isn't that we are against being civil per se. Our criticism is that that these people aren't civil because they're they're uh, war criminals. So that doesn't mean that we throw off civility entire entirely. It's just that we you know aim towards it more steadfast and try to be more ci- civil in our principles and in the way that we carry ourselves um because we recognize that these people who are against liberty are not civil so i I think that we kind of the the response was something to the effect of like well why be civil because these people aren't when it's like perhaps maybe we should be because they aren't um so i don't know i i really appreciate that that kind of what you're getting at about the heart issue here especially as a christian um because I don't want to revel in the deaths of my enemies. I hope that uh, spiritually they turn as well and, and they turn towards liberty, towards freedom and um, you know, love of one another. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that there is a risk of becoming that, which you hate. Um, And, and that sort of the, the, um, the example that, that, um, Jesus in the Bible uh, emulated of um, of loving thy enemy um, and and turning the other cheek. That um, that there's there's a reason why that philosophy you know swept the world, and and there's a reason why social movements that emulated that aspect through through like peaceful civil disobedience and um, and 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 just exemplifying love and and grace and 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 being not what your um opponents are being and being being very, very distinct from them that that I think that's it's 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 not only good for our own souls but um but it's inspiring to others um it and so so yeah, so I, I think that um, I, I think that ultimately it's it's good on on many levels. Yeah, and I don't I don't think that that means we we can't criticize these people. I think it is just more about how we we carry ourselves in doing so. Um, and also, I, I think it gets really to the the heart of you know a quote that we hear a lot in the liberty movement about you know how a revolution not based in love will always end in tyranny. And and something that I really fear is that if if there were ever a liberty movement that is based out of hate and hate of um, the the oppressors and and um, the tyranny that came before us, that it would just evolve again into like a French Revolution type thing. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you hear a lot of like the the stuff that was said around the time of the French Revolution, and I think us libertarians would agree with the spirit of a lot of it, and not not agree with a, a lot of things too but um the the truth is is that i i think the reason it became the revolution that it turned out to be is because it was based in hate and and not love um and i i i worry about um the if if we're oriented towards or we're carried and animated by the wrong spirit i guess even in our libertarian ideals mhm yeah I think that's right. And, and I think that um, another thing to consider is that 
you know, that all, throughout history, when, whenever, whenever any group just defines its, itself as anti-something, um, as much as it is for something, then, then again, they, it, it kind of, it loses its moral bearing because, because it's like, okay, whatever is against the enemy, then, um, then I'm for that. Like, and, and, you know, so we see that with, with anti-communist movements and, um, both in, in America, the, like the, the anti-communist movements of, uh, of, of the fifties and sixties and, and, 60s, and um, anti-communist movements in Europe that, that eventually evolved in, into fascism that, that they, that they were so fixated on, on an enemy that that became the defining orientation of the movement as opposed to something more, um, more principled like like a cause like 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 liberty and um and and, and like virtue and um and and so then you know that, that's just like a risk because that that's how you become that which you hate because then you start to adopt the enemy's tactics and and you start to to act like them and and that's another thing that Leonard Reed taught is that the the same um strategies that that may work for advancing st statism will not work for advancing liberty now all of this kind of i think really um a lot of this is informed by your series on uh civilize thyself that you've been you've been uh writing oh. about on substack but before we move on i, I remembered yeah. another thing point that i wanted to make i just want to like really reiterate that like i don't mean that we should give um a proponents of of evil policies a pass or or that we should mince words in describing the enormity that they um that they they advocate so like one of my favorite writers was the is the late will grigg and he was just a master at at describing exactly the moral failing of you know um ab abusive and 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 violent police officers and and politicians who 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 perpetrate wars and 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 he 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 didn't mince words like he 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 called it for what it was and and so you know that i really do appreciate about the um the libertarian party of, of new hampshire um and the and the mises caucus is that they they're not afraid to you know call injustice what it is and and to to call evil acts uh what they are um but but i i don't think that you need to um it, it's like it's like the old saying of hate uh hate the sin love the sinner so so i don't think you need to hate the sinner in order to hate the sin yeah and i think all of this just demonstrates like how important it is to you to be careful with your speech and and be precise in your speech and i know that um you're influenced by jordan peterson and 
this is something that I've really struggled with when, when I go on interviews and when I'm writing, um, I, I am very aware of, uh, when I'm tripping on my words and I do it very often. So something that I've really appreciated about your work and, um, this series that, that you have on Substack about civilize thyself is, um, just your process of writing and how, uh, you really emphasize that we need to create habits for ourselves and, and really, um, collect ourselves. Uh, and then that will make us better people. And it will also make us better represent representations of the ideas that we want to bring out into the world. And, um, we hope that the world, uh, you know, embraces. So I, I wonder if you can, uh, talk a little bit about the importance of writing and, and your writing process and some of the, the tips that you share in this series. Sure. So I have one post called um, how to create like a Bastiat. And I, and I um, share advice that was offered by two of Bastiat's greatest emulators, Leonard Reed and, and Henry, Henry Hazlitt. And, um, and they, they talked a lot about the, the benefits of writing that um, that writing is how you master ideas that you um, Leonard Reed said that that an, an idea that you can't write lucidly about is an idea that you have not mastered yet and um, and so that that's why um, and that that's how I learned Austrian economics when when I was first learning these things is that I would write blog posts and then they end up ended up getting published at Mises.org. And then and I would I would just read Mises and then try to synthesize what I was learning into like an essay. And um and 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 that's how I would come to understand that like that area of Mises's thought. And um and so so that's why that's why writing is such a big part of the, the Hazlitt project. Is because that's how um, that's how I'm hoping that the Hazlitt Fellows will um, will also master these ideas and um, is by is by um, uh, co coherently and persuasively and clearly um, uh, ma making it understandable to um, to to readers that that um, to to comprehend means being comprehensible and and so um and another thing that Hazlitt and Reed talked about is how writing aids in concentration and so um in a lot of my posts I really advocate what what I've been doing lately which is writing first thing in the morning um because it just like I have this post called write your way into a good day and or a great day and I'm sorry, I have someone at the door. Um, yeah, go ahead. Okay, um, sorry about that interruption. Um, I'll have to repeat myself a little bit. Um, I had um, housework being done at the time. So yeah, writing really helps with uh, concentration that, um, like I said, I've been writing first thing in the morning and it um, it really helps to marshal your thoughts, and so it's it's just a really great it's the writing 
is basically like you at your most reasoned, articulate, thoughtful self. And so, you know, tapping into that, especially first thing in the morning, for me, it just makes me smarter like the rest of the day. It just makes me better at at analyzing things. It it makes me better at problem solving. And um, so, so yeah, I, I just really recommend the, the um, writing to to help you think uh, and and to help you learn and um, and to help other people learn. Um, it, it's just it's just a really great practice. Yeah, you you highlighted it a little earlier, but I'm wondering if you can dive deeper into it. But what what is your uh, writing process look like? Do you find like source material that you're interested in and then um, unpack it? And uh, yeah, how long do you spend uh, writing? And I guess, what does your morning look like? Yeah, so um, in the morning, I will first do some reading to, um, to, to ease into it. And lately I've been, like I mentioned, you mentioned my superhero substack. So I'll, I'll read my favorite uh, comic book author Grant Morrison, who um, who I've I've written about extensively on my Substack, and uh, and then I'll I'll actually do like page summaries of of each um, of each page of one issue, and and I'll add commentary for um, about things I notice um, points references that I think he's making points that he's trying to make because he's he's a very philosophical right writer he's not he's not your average super superhero comic writer and and that's just for myself like that's just for my um my own journaling um and and so that that is kind of like like a an on-ramp into writing to to publish and um and so before too long then I'll switch over to writing for the the daily substack and and then it'll depend on what um what day of the week it is so on on the weekends that's when i when i do my superhero writing mostly because it's kind of like a a a more fun thing to to write about and then um and then on the weekdays i'll I'll do my self-improvement writing and my liberty writing and oftentimes that's centered around what I'm working on, either in self-improvement or in um, liberty, that um, that if if we're covering a certain topic in the curriculum of the Hazlitt uh, project, and if if I'm going to be delivering a lecture um, soon, that that I will um, I will try to I will write an essay, that informs that lecture and um, and and that really presents the idea uh, that that I'm going to be um, talking about, and um, and so um, so that that often is what is what drives that, and so that's why I've been writing about John Locke a lot because we've been uh, covering libertarian civics and 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 discussing the the ideas of John Locke, and then similarly for self improvement, it's what I whatever I'm working on then like whatever I'm thinking about and whatever I'm I'm trying to how I'm trying to improve like whatever kind of 
um, systems that I'm trying to develop or new techniques, um, new, new habit formation techniques or new productivity techniques, um, life hacks that, that I'm, that I'm trying. And, and so I'll just, I'll, I'll write about it. And, and it's really, it's really been synergistic because it, it helps me to think through these life hacks. Uh, it, it helps me to put them to the test. It helps me to um, to elaborate them and and under, understand them more, and and it helps me to adopt them um, um, to to a, to a greater degree. Um, so so yeah, so that's that's and and I try to um, I, I try to have a backlog of ideas to write about. And and that's another thing that I talk about in in my Bastia article about the importance of just what 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 Hazlitt calls um, uh, catching ideas on the fly um, that that you that you have to catch them in the wild like just whenever they come to you and and just always have a a pen and a paper or or your smartphone ready and just have the habit of of actually writing down any kind of insight that you have. Any kind of uh, if you're if you're reading and 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 you notice something that you'd like to that you might like to write about, or or if you're reading if you're um, thinking about um, some some subject and and some kind of a connection uh, come comes to mind, then um, then don't don't assume that you'll be able to recall it later when you're setting down to write that that it's it's a really good practice to to capture it immediately so that it'll be available for, for you when 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 it is time to write. Oh, I'm I'm muted there. Uh, uh you you've written briefly about um ha habit formation and um you you recently published a post I think it was on Facebook if not on uh Substack about Aristotle and the use of habit to kind of build character. And I'm wondering if you can kind of unpack that and uh, talk about what you were um, posting about there. Sure. Um, so Will Durant paraphrased Aristotle as saying that we are what we repeatedly do, that um, that virtue, therefore, is not an act, but a habit. And um, and then and Plutarch said something to the effect that um that our our habits make up our character and um and then heraclitus another ancient philosopher said that um that a man's character is his fate and um and then there's a a, a really neat english saying that um that i also uh put in the in the post that ties them all together that um that that the you in in acting you form your habits and in your habits you form your character and with your character you you shape your destiny and so so really um habits are 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 the key point there because that that is that is what um paves the way for future actions is is whatever becomes habitual and there are techniques for sort of hacking your habits that that your habits work in a certain way and there's really great books out there um that that describe what a, a lot of um scientific research has has demonstrated about habit formation 
Um, I really especially recommend Atomic Habits by James Clear. And um, and so it you really um, you really can um, make a conscious effort to, um, to to shape your habits and not to just take them as as a given, like as an eternal part of your personality. And and that's that's really I think is um, really what works in 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 terms of of behavioral change, as opposed to sort of like the the New Year's resolution approach of like thinking that some moment of inspiration is just going to um you know get you to go to the gym like you know every uh every day for the rest of the of the year and um but the thing is that that inspiration fades and it has to be built on something stronger than inspiration and um and and what you can do is you can convert that inspiration to a habit by um by being conscious about how you form that habit about um about um determining what what are the cues that are that is going to signal your your behavioral response um what what are the what are the cues that you're going to make it a point to always respond to with with your with your new habit um and and james clear has all these methods of of how to make those make your your new good habits like obvious and and attractive and and just easy easy to follow through on and if you make it a project and if you focus in on on especially um like a limited number of, of habits at first that that you can um that 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 that's what can create permanent change because because if you can do it for you know a couple months three months in a row then then that's just that's like a new like circuit that you've installed in, in your brain and and then and that's what creates permanent change yeah and and to tie it back to like uh what you were talking about earlier with uh writing and how that really makes um you comprehend uh, things better. I've I've noticed that the podcasts that I feel the most confident about are the ones that I've actually uh, written, um, you know, notes about before I go into them. And it, it's almost like I can lift off the words from the page, even if I wrote it like weeks ago. There's something about memorization and comprehension and writing, um, and I've I've really appreciated your your writings for kind of diving into that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's made a big difference. Like I'm, I've, I've been, I've been needing to practice what I've been preaching um, for a while that like, I, I feel like I hadn't been as prolific as, as I could be and, and as I should be, because like writing is, is an important part of my identity and it's an important um, way that I, I think that I I'm, am well suited to do good in the world and um and i just i just wasn't making time for it like i i was you know publishing like once a month so, sometimes um and and that's just not enough and and what the the great thing about about daily there, there's just like a big difference between like doing something every few days and doing something daily because you know we have our daily rhythms and there are just these really strong cues that come along with our daily rhythms so if you can if, if you can work a habit to make it daily then it really makes a big difference because i think that's what 
made the difference for me is that when I when, when I decided like, okay, if I'm going to ask the fellows to, to, to do this daily writing challenge, like I, I should do it myself. And, um, and, and I think that if, if it had been like, well, like once every few days, I'll try, try to make it a point, then that's just so easy to forget and, and so easy to, to like eventually drop. Um, but, but when you make it a point of, of like, okay, this specific cue that happens every morning like i'm i'm going to write and i'm going to make a point to pu click publish on something every single day um and and another point that i make is is to not expect yourself if if you're going to do a, a daily writing habit like this don't insist on having a certain length of of the the piece because if you do that then it'll be easy to skip because it's like okay well if i'm not going to be able to write the full length then then i might as well not do it at all and then once you totally skip a practice then it it stops forming as a as a habit and so a lot of a lot of uh, great habit um books like including my favorite um uh, in this subgenre of called mini habits by stephen guys um Stephen Guys um, talks about what he called the one push-up challenge. That that he um, the way that he got in shape was instead of challenging himself to like go to the gym and do like a full set, um, you know, every time he worked out, that he just challenged himself to do just one push-up a day, and and he said that a mini goal like that, like a mini habit, is so what he calls stupid easy that you feel ridiculous for not doing it. And so it's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. But then once you're down on the ground doing one pushup, like getting to that first pushup is like where most of the willpower is, is required. But then once you're, once you're, once you've started, it's easy to just do, do a whole set. And then once you've done, done a whole set, it's easy to do more sets. And then it's easy to do like other exercises too. And then before you know it, you have a whole workout. And um, similarly with writing that, um, you know, some days I'm just super busy. And so I, all I can, all, all I can muster or, or I'm, I'm just super like low willpower or something. Um, all I can muster is like um, a collection of quotes or, or just like a really brief thought. And, um, and, and, um, but I show up and, and I don't break the chain like J Jerry Seinfeld would would uh, put an, an X on the calendar every every time he'd work on his routine and, and he, he made it a point just don't break the chain and and many habits make it easy to, to not break the chain. Yeah, that, that's really fascinating because I, I employed um, that strategy without even really knowing that I was doing it, I guess, while uh, trying to get myself to go to the gym during college. I, I would tell myself that I at least needed to go to the gym, wake up and go to the gym in the morning. Um, and, and that's what I did. So even if I wasn't going to do a full workout that was really intensive, um, I, I could be, I could feel really tired and, and weak that day, as long as I was there and, you know, did a lightweight or, you know, I, I was there and maybe walked around, um, the track, uh, I, I checked off that mark for the day, but, um, what ended up happening is I, since I'm at the gym, I, I actually do a full workout over time. So, um, it's interesting that you, you just kind of crystallize exactly, uh, 
what I subconsciously I think was doing. Um, but as for writing, uh, just being like fully open and honest, like when, when I was, uh, in the, the Hazlitt fellow program, I really struggled with developing these habits and actually getting, um, to put something on, on, uh, paper. And I only published one article with you and it was actually co-authored with you. Um, and it was like, uh, I, I feel like pulling fingernails just to actually get down and, and write a full piece. Um, but I, I gained so much from that and, and just talking with you about these habits and now reading your, your, uh, sub stack. So I really encourage everyone to go and, and follow these, um, articles that you're you're publishing because you have stuff here titled tracking your actions um just click publish on something make your space a sacred ground which is about like cleaning the area in which you're working um and yeah it, all of this has been really helpful for me and and uh I'm, I'm definitely hoping to employ these things in the future but you you mentioned um your interest in comic books and i wanted to touch on this before uh uh I let you go. Um, one of the articles you you recently wrote was about uh, Grant Morrison and how he learned to stop worrying about the bomb. And this was really fascinating because I've I've always had an interest in comic books and I've been somewhat of a normie. But anytime someone talks about comics, I, I get interested and I follow the movies and stuff like that. Um, so it was interesting to hear that there's a, a, a more philosophical um, comic book that is touching on topics that are very important today. Um, so I'm wondering if you can unpack that comic book and the article uh, you were talking about and, and uh, how Grant Morrison learned to stop worrying about the bomb. Sure. So yeah, Grant Morrison, he's known as um, a very avant-garde comic book writer. Um, so he, um, there, there's a, the Doom Patrol series that's on hbo max like that's based on his run on the doom patrol and um and it was very um just countercultural and and surreal and um and postmodern even and he would have lots of books like that that would would explore different kinds of superheroes but he also has this, he also surprised people, especially in the 90s, that he um, has this traditionalist streak in him too, that that he he um, he grew up on Silver Age comics. So like the comics of, of the 60s that were, you know, and, and so probably the closest analog that people might be familiar with is um, like the super friends, uh, like it was, is kind of, kind of along the, the same lines of, it was just very simple, um, uh, like child-friendly stories. Um, but there was also something, there was a reason why they had such an appeal that, that they had such a universal appeal, much more than, than super friends. Cause super friends is actually really, um, like cheesy and really low quality in, in, in a lot of ways. But but these these Silver Age comics that they they're really formative to him. And he always there was always that part part of him so that when when he started writing like the big characters, like the the like Superman and Batman and, and the Justice League, that a lot of people expected him to have sort of like this subversive spin 
on 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 these characters but he ended up just doing these like really um they, they were like really um um sophisticated and and really um but but they were also really um they they, they were they kind of talked about they, they they exemplified traditional morality and they exemplified like the classic superman as being really pure and um and and not jaded and and not um like hamlet like the way that so many writers uh treat superman and and that was really it was really successful like it was huge like the jla uh series was just a blockbuster series in in the 90s and then later when um when he wrote the the series all-star superman again this was very traditional superman it was very silver age superman and um and but it's it's beloved like like people think of it as like the definitive superman story in in comic book form so i i've just um ever since i i discovered him in in the 90s when i was in college i've just absolutely loved his stuff and there was just something about it and and but it was only until it was only later when i read his book called super gods that um that i really that i fully understood why what about his work spoke to me so much and and i i started to understand his whole philosophy of superheroes and his theory of superheroes and like what they what they represent and 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 why we find them so fascinating and um and and really it's i mean it's sort of like why we thought zeus was fascinating and hercules and gilgamesh and um and it, and it, it's these these larger than life depictions of humanity that um, that because they're larger than life that that they're they're ways of abstracting these ideals uh, these these ideals of virtue of of, of 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 physical health and physical strength and courage and 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 bravery and and that um, and and that Superman and and other superheroes that they that they basically um, push the same button for us. And, and so he, he talked about how, um, it, the, the superhero comics that he discovered when he was a child was so formative for him, especially because it, um, it helped him resolve an existential crisis because he was a really sensitive, um, child and at the time, like in the '60s, like you know, this is the time of like the Cuban Missile Crisis, and and um, and the and the Cold War was getting really bad, and there's just like nuclear scares. And his father was uh, an anti-nuclear activist. So, in addition to comics, there would be these these um, these anti-war um, zines, these ma these magazines lying around uh, around the the house with like these gruesome images of what the earth what the world would look like after after a nuclear war and um and so at, from a very young age like the thought about everything being destroyed and everyone dying because of a nuclear war it it haunted him 
And, but at the same time, he, his mother was like a, a science fiction fan. And so there would be these novels lying around of, um, of these visions of the future that was super optimistic and amazing where like all these, where technology, instead of being used to destroy ourselves, was used to uplift ourselves to like another level to to uh, for for humanity to 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 transcend its limits, and um and so he 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 felt like it, it was like he didn't know which way the world was gonna gonna go like um and 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 superheroes like when he discovered superheroes like that's what um made him realize like the the kinds of values and and the kinds of of, of optimism that that can help humanity move away from um apocalypse and towards utopia and and toward to making the world a better place and um and so so he he would say that you know the bomb was an idea but superman was a faster and better idea and 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 what what he really meant by that is that superman as he was written especially at the time was just this um distillation of of what he said is our highest kindest wisest toughest selves and and again it's of course it's unrealistic but it doesn't have to be realistic to be inspiring that that it 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 can it's it's a picture of of these these ideals and and when you read like a good superman story or watch a, a good superman movie um, it, it was really formative for me, like, especially I have, I have posts about watching Superman too. And, um, and it was, it, it really taught me like what, what virtue looked like and what true heroism looked like. And, um, and I think, I think that's what can make people better, uh, better people and, and the kind of people who, who don't call for, um, brinksmanship with a nuclear power just because it helps your party or or just because it you know because you you believe the propaganda um that that you've been fed and um and that I, I like I don't think it's I don't think it's a coincidence that we've been fed a steady diet of these nihilistic quote unquote subversive narratives where where there's no true heroes there's only anti-heroes and that um and that that there's no like um that that val that that values um like you know bravery and 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 selflessness and and hard work and and industry and sacrifice that um that 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 those are you know considered judgy and um that that it's no coincidence that with that kind of a, of of stories that we we tell ourselves that that we are you know have this like nihilistic view of politics that that we that that we think that the you know that the that the that like human humanity is a cancer uh, on 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 the earth and um and that like it would be better for the earth if if humanity was was wiped out and and that um and that people are willing to risk the the end of 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 humanity um just for um to so that we can like you know exercise our 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 power and um or 
or um, whatever reasons that that they have for for wanting to intervene in in Ukraine, like which is like a, a you know a, a dispute between two nearby countries on the other side of the world that we should have nothing to do with. Um, so yeah, so I I think that um, that that superheroes and and so what what I'm I'm really hoping um, we can do is we can like restore the superhero um, because because I think that that that's why superheroes have been so popular like um, especially like s- since the year two thousand um, all the way through um, through like twenty nineteen is is that to some degree that especially like the these the the Marvel movies captured um that kind of optimism and and that kind of um celebration of of human virtue and and um but lately the um this that's been really slipping and 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 lately a, a lot of these um superhero movies that they've been like um going into woke politics and instead of virtue virtue signaling and like and victimhood ideology and um and all these anti-values really and and I think it's no coincidence that that's also you know disappointing at the box office and and in in, in viewer ratings because whatever people say are their values and their ideologies like th- some something about true virtue like speaks speaks to the human heart and and it and it compels us and it, and it makes us interested in watching and 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 rewatching and 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 I think that that's what's missing in a lot of the media that's being produced today and and I I'm I'm hoping that we can we can go back to that because Grant Morrison said we 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 tend to live the stories we tell ourselves so it's important that we tell ourselves good stories yeah i think um, and, and the reason why I wanted to touch on all all of these series is I really do think that there is a through line here about um, speech and just overall pulling yourself together, um, doing that through habits and also um, through perfecting and um, perfecting your ideas and putting, you know, pulling yourself together uh, to be a representation of the ideas that that you have and um, being kind of like that that thing that people can mirror, you know, acting out your, your virtues, um, rather than just preaching them. I mean, that seems to be the, the theme here and something about this, this topic, uh, of nuclear war is, I mean, it, it really has bothered me for a long time too. I grew up having like these, rep- uh, uh, repetitive dreams where it would be either, Yellowstone exploding because I found out as a little kid that there was a super volcano that was right uh, in the state next to mine. So I was tormented by that as well as uh, nuclear holocaust. And I I would have these repetitive dreams where I'm with my family and there's like a flame coming at me, you know. And I've I've talked about this before um, on other podcasts. I just recorded a podcast with uh, uh, Jacob Daniel um, about what Christians and libertarians should do in in times of war and what, how they should think of war. And I'm reminded of this C.S. Lewis quote. It's, it's a little lengthy, but I I do want to read it because I think it's very relevant to um, that comic and, and uh, what you write about it. 
because uh, C.S. Lewis, he says, in one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. Quote, how are we to live in an atomic age? End quote. I am tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed, as you were already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented, and quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had, indeed, one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics, but we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death its itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. And I think we can add there just everything we've talked about today about civilizing thyself and um, really representing the best ideas in in the world and and kind of standing up for those ideas and and being a symbol for them um and overall i mean starting with the article about Locke, like um ideas can dominate the mind more than um you know like even if a a nuke breaks down our bodies um uh, that doesn't mean that our our uh minds can't be impacted by larger ideas and hopefully then through representing those better ideas we can make ripple effects in our communities and focus locally and impact the friends and people around us and hopefully that will um you know have a larger impact and take over the world and i think that that's how we should do these things is we should we should uh really try to convince the people around us and make sure that that foundation is secure and and impact the people around us, I guess, by, by being the best people we can. Um, and I think that that all really, really ties into what you have been writing about. Well, thank you. Um, and I totally agree. I think that's a, that's a great way of, of thinking about it because I mean, ultimately only, we can only control ourselves that, that, that that's our locus of control. And, um, and that, um, that if if we focus on on improving ourselves, like Leonard Reed talked about, that that's our best shot at improving the world, improving our family members, uh, improving our coworkers, improving the people we encounter on social media, um, improving um, our the country, um, and and hopefully even preventing. Um, through through the ripple effects of of that self improvement um, horrors like 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 the, the like the nuclear war, um, but um, and but but there's there's a piece in 
in that there's there's a piece in in knowing that um um that there's there's a, a famous saying of of uh, evil may enter into the world but but not through me and and so just just focusing on being a force for good there's a certain imperviousness that that comes with that because because then then you know that you're you're doing your best and that you're doing that, that all you can and um and that you know that's going to tend towards the best possible results is to the degree that you do that and and that that's all that's all we um that's all we can do and 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 just knowing that and letting go of the of the things we can't control um and um there that there that that's there's 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 a piece that comes from that. Yeah, I completely agree. And I did want to make a correction. I said Jacob Daniels show. I meant Jacob Winograd show. Uh, his podcast and his handle on Twitter are Jacob Daniels, so it's always confusing. And we give him crap about that all the time. Uh, but yeah, the, before I let you go, I just wanted to touch on one more thing. Um, you and I co-authored a piece with uh, Fee about social media and it's very timely it keeps coming up again um now that elon musk has uh bought twitter and i'll link in the description to our article so people can read it um we kind of make the case that uh you know free speech is is an idea but legally there's a fundamental question involved about like where can we speak and and we we look at uh free speech through the lens of private property and uh, the private property analysis that that Rothbard introduces. Um, so I'll link that there for people to read it. But um, in light of all of that, I, I'm wondering how you feel about this uh, Twitter deal. Um, if you're optimistic, I know you tweeted something about Elon potentially caving. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm just wondering how you feel about it. Yeah, I mean, I I have been cautiously optimistic um, that you know, Elon Musk, at least he, he talked a good game and he, he seemed to, to understand the importance of a culture of free speech and, um, and, but yeah, but, but recent developments have cast doubt on that because he seems to be um, consulting with just very censorious people and, um, and seems to be backsliding already um th- this early in the game but um but i i and an, another recent development that i think is really germane to our our co-authored article is the dhs links uh, uh leaks the the department of homeland security um has the the so the the details of their disinformation program and their um their very close uh uh, um, collaboration with with big tech um, that um, that a, a report came out um, by Lee Fang in the in the Intercept, revealing a, a lot of this and um, and that was one of the main points in our article is that um, is that the um, that there is a violation of free speech rights, but it's not so much big tech violating users rights it's more um big government violating big tech's rights and and manipulating the public by doing that 
and um and how um that 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 there's just a lot of sort of um covert co coercion going on because in the, the, we point out that you you don't you don't have to pass a law and pass a mandate to um to get big tech to, or or any uh, for for a government to get any industry to censor itself, you just have to credibly threaten uh, that kind of crackdown, and 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 big tech will try and or any industry will try to preempt that by playing ball and by going along with the express wishes of uh, of the government, and you know we've seen that happen throughout history. We've seen that with the, um, the motion pictures. Um, comic books also, where um, where the the industry would regulate itself in order to forestall government crackdowns, and and so now with these revelations, we we see that um, that the government even had like a special portal for uh, for one of the big tech companies. I think it was Facebook for um, for issuing requests for for. Uh, takedowns so for for content takedown, and um, and so I th I think it's it's important for especially in libertarian discourse because there are debates like even even among libertarians and and among conservatives about um, regulating big tech because there's calls to regulate big tech, um, you know, under the rationale that. That they are, you know, not really private entities. That they are, um, that that they are, or 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 that they they are they're somehow violating free speech or something. Um, and and to me that the like that's not the takeaway. Like the answer, like okay, so DHS is meddling. You know, the government is meddling, and so the answer is to like get government more involved like like the answer should be getting government less involved like it, it, it and and so I, I i don't see how i mean yeah so so definitely the the events recently have have made our article even more applicable but i, I just hope that people are are Taking the the right takeaway that that they're not thinking that oh well you know this proves that that big tech is basically like colluding with the government and it's like yeah they are but it's because it's because they're being intimidated in, into doing that and and sure there's you know probably people who politically like doing this anyway like at any any given big tech company and and there's also like an extent to which um you know they they might benefit from having that in with with the government that other competitors don't have an in with and and that like that can put them at a competitive advantage but but there there's also just the fact that like you know as glenn, glenn greenwald pointed out that there have been hearings where where big tech um companies have been hauled before congress and and explicitly threatened with um with legislative crackdowns and um and so, you know that's 
that threat is that that's the real problem. Like that, that's what needs to be um, fought in order to, you know, to get rid of this crony capitalist arrangement. Yeah. And then um, I, I guess Elon Musk has, has promised civil rights leaders that he's going to bring back moderation tools and um, he might still police hate speech. And this just happened today. Um, so I, I'm also sharing in, in your concern. And um, it's really interesting to reflect back on our article in light of all of this. And um, I think really, like we we should call on people like Elon Musk to uh, remain steadfast and push back against the government. And um, really, our our responses for uh, people with enough power and influence, like Elon, to stand up against the government, because I think that um, the last week has shown that that he has a lot of influence, and um, we we need people like him and and um, figures like him, elites like him, to stand up and. Uh, defend our ideas because I I think the more we have that conversation in the culture and in our you know cultural leaders, um, I mean they they really can be those figures that I guess we we talked about early that earlier that represent um, our ideas and and put forth um, our ideas into the rest of the world by mirroring that and I hope that people like Elon Musk continue to do that. Um, but we'll we'll see how that goes. Uh, the U.S. government also said, I, I saw this briefly, just a headline y- yesterday, that they're going to um, look into whether they can uh, stop the Twitter deal from g- going through. They're going to try to revisit and see if there's any way for the U.S. government to get involved, because it's clear that Twitter is such an um, important propaganda tool for them, um, as it was during the election, as it was during the pandemic. And um, as it currently is with the Ukraine war. So we'll have to keep our eyes on all of that. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate you so much for coming on the show. We'll uh, have to let you go. But if if you want to just say any last thoughts or uh, share where people can find you online and um, any of those links that I can put in the description, please do. And we can let you go. Sure. Yeah. So I have three sub stacks. Um, one, one you can find at superheroes.com. Um, substack.com and another is uh, libertyletters.substack.com and then the other one is civilized.substack.com and so those are my superhero liberty and self-improvement substacks and um, and so yeah I try I know that some people who might be interested in one might not be interested in the other two so that's why I have have separate ones um, also check out my ar- archive at, at fee.org and um, just um, sorry uh, check out fees um content in general just there's just it's just treasure fee.org is just a treasury of resources to to learn about the freedom philosophy all right well thank you so much for your time thank you